Welcome to Prio's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trichauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. On September 5th, 2021, the military in Guinea pulled off a coup against President Alpha Conde. The coup was led by Colonel Mamadi Doumbouya, and since then, the situation has been unclear, though the military remains in power. Many in Guinea welcome the power change, while others condemn it, and the international community largely falls in the second camp. What will happen next? To discuss the evolving situation, I talked to two experts today. Bintu Zahara Sakor is a doctoral researcher at PRIO. Her research focuses on political and economic development in sub-Saharan Africa, civil wars and post-conflict dynamics, and gender empowerment, security, and peace. She holds a master's in conflict resolution and quantitative methods from the University of Essex. Mohamed Sakor is a consultant at Saxon Strategy Advisory. He holds several master's degrees in human rights, global security and intelligence, and Islamic banking and finance. He consults on various issues related to security and investment in West Africa and the Middle East. Welcome to the podcast, Zahara and Mohammed. Um, welcome back, Zahara. Thank you for joining me again. And actually on the same topic that we've talked about before, or one of one of the topics that we've talked about before, and that is Guinea. And we talked last year um, when, when things were sort of developing there. Um, we've talked more generally about West Africa. Mm. Um, but today we're going to be discussing the coup that just occurred last week. Mm. Um, so just to kick us off, what happened? Yeah, thank you so much, Indigo, for having us, uh, having me. And uh, I think the situation in Guinea, as you've seen, is ongoing situation. But from what we know for sure is on September the 5th, last, not last Sunday, but the Sunday after. So the Guinean Special Force Unit size power, basically, from President Alpha Conde in the coup d'etat. And um, the coup d'etat was staged in response to a... A basically a long wish for a change and protest against Alpha Condes following his basically the constitu- the manipulation of the constitution, which is something we already discussed about. And this was basically what was special about the school was it was led by a, a colonel called Mamadi Dumbuya and his team. And uh, Mamadi Dumbuya had been if a former French legionary and he'd been uh, scouted by Alpha Conde and brought to Guinea to like protect him. And uh, also he's from Madinka's um, uh, ethnic group, which is Alpha Conde's ethnic group. And the reason why I'm mentioning this because in the Guinea situation, there's been a lot of ethnical tensions regarding a lot of the, um, the political dispute, basically. And so this guy was brought in there to protect Alpha Conde. And then what happened was, as soon as he felt like Alpha Conde was going to sideline him, he basically went against it. And now, basically, the coup d'etat basically sparked a lot of wave of um, celebration among the Guinean people, while in the external settings uh, from the international community, such as um, UN, the regional community, such as ECOWAS, there's a lot of condemnation uh, condemnation of the coup. And the ECOWAS and even the African Union has even sanctioned um, the Guinean government. So I think, um, Mohammed, do you want to add more to the, the, the context in a sense? 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me, Indigo, and I'm so glad to be here with Zahara. Um, this was not a surprise at all, um, due to the fact that uh, in 2010, Alpha Conde was elected in his second round of uh, LPG Arkansas, and that was his political party. And in 2015, he was re-elected for another term, second term. 2020, what happened? Everything started from here. The uh, rocky rule for him uh, and the miscalculation started from this point. So he kind of proposed a constitutional referendum. And that uh, the, 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 the international community saw this coming, mm -hmm. that there is an ego, there's an ego. Uh, it might lead to a problem for, for, for this man. So um, when he proposed the uh, uh, third term, the constitutional referendum uh, in 2020, there was the, the opposition party withdrew from this election process. They said, that, well, we don't believe in the CINI. CINI is the uh, committee for national, independent national elections committee in Guinea. So they said that because of distrust facts about these institutions, and we don't believe that these guys can carry on free and fair elections in, in Guinea. Yeah. So they withdrew from the process. However, at the end, he was able to carry on the referendum. And it was a yes for him. And in fact, the new constitutions that he was proposing had very good ideas about, like, for instance, you have marriage, uh, marriage age uh, to 18, you had you had a ban on uh, genital mutilation uh, mutilations for Gary. You have ban on slavery, child labors, equal rights for women if there's a divorce or something like that. <laughs> However, the problem is this: there was this new constitutions meant new republic, which could pave Alpha Condé's candidacy for the third term. Mm. So it was kind of croaky and it was kind of hidden in it. People couldn't uh, figure out until the end. And when that was the case, we had a lot of riots in Guinea, and there was crackdown by the police force. Mm -hmm. You have like police officials that were very uh, 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 tough, and you have public discontent due to the inflation. You have bread price going hitting like four uh, four thousand from Guinea, and you have the gasoline price hitting from nine uh, net mil or uh, nine thousand. Frank Guinea to 11,000 per liter. So there was a very, very uh, discontent among the Guineans at all. And in fact, before the, the coup d'etat, like a week, there was a new spending proposal by his budget minister at the National uh, Assembly, which meant that there will be uh, a spending spread for the uh, for those guys that working at the National uh, Assembly, the representatives, and also for his president's parliament, uh, for his president's office, there was a spending. And what they did is is that they did a cut to the military budget, mm. and which of course there was uh, problems among the generals at the time. And Mohammed, as Zahara just said, Mohammed Dumbu, Mamadi Dumbu Yakolon, and Mamadi Dumbu, who he brought. To save him, felt that there was some sort of sidelining for him mm. to be on the side because the military budget was cut off. So um, 
that led to tensions among the generals. And I was there at the time. Um, even Zahara, Zahara met us there. I was in Guinea at the time. I was meeting with a lot of officials. Um, and based on the security analysis that was going on, um, we felt that this is not good for him. And um, even I, uh, during my conversations with some uh, economic tycoons in the country, we felt that this is not going to work. Um, and Zahara knew we were there uh, working with one of the one of the investors, uh, major in, key investors of Guinea uh, economy, uh, uh, Eula, Mr. Eula. Hmm. Yeah. This is all very interesting. Um, I want to just quickly go back to kind of what you said was really the beginning of the end for Alpha Conde. And that was, of course, like you mentioned, the constitution that that he pushed through and that then made it so he was able to have a third term um as you have also said these this coup has been pretty much universally condemned by the international community um by ECOWAS by the African Union by the UN by the US um but what is it like for people on the ground because of course there were a lot of protests Mm. last year when when he was able to just ignore this two-term limit um there were mass protests people were killed people were arrested um so what is it actually like for people there right now i mean what is what is the feeling in in the area i think that uh, the most important thing is we have to understand guinea context from an historical perspective uh, this is not the first time it could it happen and people are celebrating about so people from the con- local context people are very happy people as he was giving uh, specific detail in terms of the price of food and everything people really had enough and you have to remember as well the implications of covid is really severe on the country and this has really hit the, the economy is is hit various places and you have also the one of the the dimension of the Alpha Conde regime has been uh, the ethnical aspect, the really division among different ethnicity, and um, so people really felt very happy, and there was a kind of hope for people. But then we have to take a look back. Of as I said, this is not the first time coup d'état has happened, you know. And we, if you look at Guinea's development, political development from colonial uh, from um, the end of the colonial time from the uh, from the French government all the way up now it's been coup d'etat after the coup d'etat but what is special about this coup d'etat is is actually like the thing with Sekoture was actually he died and then there was a coup d'etat Lansana Conte came the the, the case with uh, Lansana Conte was he actually died and then Dadis took over but this is the first time a, a, a president has been taken from power in this way in the Guinea's history. And what is special about this coup even is actually the fact that it is in a way, if you look from a literature, like a academic perspective, is something that the researcher would call a democratic promoting, a democratic coup d'etat. Because it has a promoting, a democratic promoting undertone. You have this, um, military basically coming in there and saying that we're going to save the population from this dictator, this authoritarian regime, and we're going to allow people to basically, we're going to create an inclusive society, an inclusive political approach. And that also means facilitative, a free and fair election. 
And this, what this does to people that have felt very alienated by the Alpha Conde regime, which whether that's the Fulanis or whether that's certain Malinke or Forestier or the part of Guinea, then they feel like, okay, now we can actually be involved in. So people feel like there's a new hope for us to be involved in this process. And I think that this is very, this is something we have to analyze from not just in West African context, but also in the whole region context where you have leaders coming, going from being activists, democratic activists like Alpha Conde and suddenly turning to authoritarian regimes over very night manipulating constitution, which is crisis that we've seen over time, misconception of power, personalizing power. And this is exactly what this regime, this military regime is saying this comeback thing and which makes people so happy. But will they happen? And I guess this is where Mohammed you can come in and Yeah. Oh well well said by Zahara. Re- really this um we have a lot of people, people in Guinea, Guineans jubilating, uh, I mean, on the street, happy, joyful, uh, basically in a sub, uh, sub, uh, prefecture, uh, sub, uh, place called Ratoma. Basically, you have Bambeto, you have Ratoma, and all these places, uh, Hamdalai. They were happy. And their thought is that, well, we are, they just got rid of uh, a detector. We have been free. We have been liberated. Nous sommes libres maintenant. That's how they used to say. Uh, that's how they say. So people were dancing happy because, um, as Zahara said, a lot of people felt that they have been marginalized. Mm. They are not involved. He has personalized the whole politic of, uh, of Guinea to be only about Alpha Kone. So people felt that, no, there is something that, it cannot go anymore. Mm. It has to stop. There should be a break onto this. Um, he was doing good in terms of economic-wise, but most, the vast majority of the Guineans didn't realize it on their lives. Mm. You have investors from China coming, tapping into the mineral resources, the bauxite, the iron, the gold. All these are things that people benefited from. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the vast majority of the Guineans are struggling to get even a dollar a day mm. for, 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 for their livelihood. And in the context, as just Zahara mentions, there is a lot of ethnic things attached to this whole phenomenon. Um, if you were to go in gaining now and ask, vast majority will say, well, we just get rid of a detector. Why? Because he uh, 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 brought us what you call a third-term phenomenon, which, of course, we didn't allow, we didn't agree but on the other hand, there are a group of people said, well, it was voted on. It went to the court, the higher court, which, of course, is an independent institution. Uh, 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 approve it. So that is something that you cannot never call unconstitutional. It was constitutional. It mm. went to the court. The court gave approval to it. The international community is being divided upon this. I mean, you have echoes condemning it for what it is. Uh, you have ECOWAS sanctioning it, AU, the same thing, the United Nations, uh, a, uh, 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 you have the United States, France, all of them condemning it. But there are other institutions on the other hand, like you have uh, uh, Turkey, uh, let us government, you have Turkey, China, Russia, 
uh, Egypt. On the other hand, they were in full gear, support for Alpha Kone and his proposal mm. because um, because of their uh, agenda was the same and he brought them in, gave them more opportunity. But as for now, um, the situation is fluid. Um, most Guineans are saying that um, we have get a, get away with a uh, uh, with a de- uh, get away with a detector. But my concern here is going to be one point. After two or three, because Zahara just touched on a very unique point: democratic coup d'état. That is what we are now thinking that the, the, the coup d'etat was a democratic way because the military stepped in at the time. People were calling that, you know what, that is enough. We get we, we got enough of this dictator. Come and get rid of it. Save us. So militaries just came out of their barrack and came and uh, removed this guy. But the problem is that in democratic coup, the military have to set a timeline when they're going to organize a free and fair elections, because their job is not to run the country. Their job is just to protect the country from external foes, enemies. So, but if that start to run out, if people patients start to run out of that, then you're going to see people will get on the street again, stoning, uh, rioting, screaming, uh, and there'll be a lot of, lot of demonstrations. And that's my fear. Hmm. Let's just go back to the point that Zahara touched on with ethnic groups. Um, Mohammed, maybe you want to reflect on this, but either of you can take this one. Um, because Alpha Conde was part of the Malinka group, but so is Dumbuya. Um, so what kind of dynamic is there with, with these, these two leaders, or yeah, now deposed leader, I guess? Um, what, does this, what does this mean for people in the country? Yes, I can uh, touch on this point. Um, this is kind of, um, and that was uh, the most uh, uncomfortable aspects of the coup. Well, I've been analyzing uh, the uh, the talking point of the Malinke uh, griot. Those guys are those who speak on behalf of the uh, of the tribe of the of the empire. So those are the um, I will say those are the. Uh, 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 spoke presence for the Maninga tribe. So I've been following up their talking point, and I found that there's uh, two groups, even among the Maninga themselves. There was a group that appreciated uh, 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 what he did, and there was other people that didn't appreciate it at all. Those who didn't appreciate it, they said, well, why should Dumuya come and unseat a Malinke like himself? He is an elder person who took care of him, who brought him to power. He will have, have patience to wait until he can his term is over and then he can do whatever he can uh, supposed to do. There was another group that said, no, here is it. Um, the person who left, he was 83 years old, Malinke, old man. And the person who came to take power is 40 years old, young Malinke man. So it is just the same thing. We just took someone from the same tribe and replaced with other person. So they are saying that, well, they are from the same city. They are from the same ethnic group. They are from, they speak the same dialect. Um, Alpha Conde is considered to be a father figure to Colonel Dumbuya. Uh, so whatever he did, it was wrong. 
in the sense that uh, he will have treated him at least more respectfully when he captured him, when he, uh, when President Alpha Conde was being captured, people saw him in a car, um, and his bottom t-shirt was unbuttoned. So there are some people saying that, well, he would have treated him kindly from the uh, ethnic tradition standpoint. But other than that, people are coming to themselves. They are saying that, well, if we don't agree with Dumuya, we might lose everything. So we just have to support Dumuya as one. But Zari can go and if you want to add to that. No, I think I think you perfectly said that. And I think in terms of on the ground, people are very, I, I, I hope, the hope is that uh, between, particularly between the Fulani, the uh, Pul, and the Malinki, that the people can come closer now together and feel like we all Guinean first and foremost. But I think one of the really interesting thing is we have to understand how this coup d'etat is implicate, like what is the implication of this coup on the regional level and also on the global level as well. So uh, I think, Mohammed, you really, you analyze the, 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 the situation on the ground in terms of the feeling from different ethnicities. Yeah. Mm. Thank you both. Um... I think I'm just going to close with a pretty open-ended question, and both of you can address it, but Zahari, maybe you can go first. What does this mean for the region? Because, like like I said, we've had a couple of episodes previously where we've, we've talked about the region and um, covered a few different current events and also just general tensions that, that have been happening over the, basically the last year. Mm. Um, so what do you think this means for the region? What kind of effects could it have? So I think... Um... You have to see in the current atmosphere, Guinea is actually the third West African country to experience a violence transfer. In April, Chad, President Idris was killed while visiting Frontline and was replaced by his son. And in May, Mali saw its second coup in nine months, following the arrest of the president, prime minister, and all this thing. And in Niger, a failed coup was crushed by the, by the government. So what we basically seeing is, is a is a trend and there's a two kind of trend we're seeing here one of the thing we're seeing across this region the Sahelian region west african region is constitutional crisis a constitutional coup d'etat where leaders come to power and then they they basically do a coup d'etat against the, their own constitutions just to extend the powers and then what then you see the symptom, the coup, military coup d'etat is basically a symptom of the first coup d'etat. And this is a trend we're seeing across of the, the region. And the situation in Guinea has basically given people a kind of feeling, the military in a lot of these countries, that the people, if they feel like this is getting overhand, they can go in and, and take power. And a lot of these countries in Africa, since the colonial time, the military has been so close to power. There is no a check and balance between the military and and um, and, and 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 I mean the the the, the uh, civil civilian government, and that's a problem because if the military and the international com community has not put any kind of deterrence on the military that you cannot go in whenever you feel like going, but at the same time on this elected president, you cannot change the constitution as much as you want, whenever you want, then you see, you will we will continue to see this dynamic where 
a leader come, they become authoritarian because they they misconcept, they have this misconception of power and personalize it, which lead to naivety and all exclusion, discrimination, all these things, grievances among people, and then the military feel they have to come. But the issue is the military intervention is, as we've seen across different contexts, different um, period, does not often lead to any good solution. So this is the regional thing. In terms of just briefly, in terms of the global thing, I think Mohammed can come and just give some um, feedback there. We see how this is affecting the, the, the boxit price globally. So this also has an implication on China's relationship with not only Guinea, but also West Africa. It has an implication on US interventions in terms of their support for security reinforcement trainings program that they're taking across the region as well. So it's this situation can have a trigger effect on the various part of um, West Africa if we're not really careful and handle this very sensitively. Mohammed, you want to? Yeah, um, very well said, Zara. Um, uh, the, um, uh, what I see is that the spillover effects well, you will have a domino effect where one institution is collapsing and then other militaries in other sub-regional nations will just imitate that picture. Well, this person can do this. We all can do the same thing. So it will become a constitutional crisis and you will see that the economic in the regions will be suffering, uh, violence will uh, be up on, on the rise. And in fact, there will be a trend, as Zahra said, uh, and one of the dynamic of it is going to be that there's going to be up to three possible uh, 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 trends into it. One, the leaders that just took power in Guinea, for instance, they will govern the country in a transitional uh, government for two years, one or two years, and then they will transfer power to civilians through uh, elections that might be observed by international community. And that is the most hopeful and promising way that we are thinking that this um, beginning uh, story will be. However, there are other trends that really is kind of uh, intimidating where the military themselves, they will take, the, uh, they, they will lead, they will govern the country for indefinite months years and then they will transform themselves into civilian and then run in order to um uh, in order to uh, get sympathy from the pop populations because they will say that at this point we are civilians and in most cases they will organize a discredited election mm. where um they will just do that in order to cave to the pressures of international community, diplomatic isolations, sanctions from top uh, institution, intergovernmental institutions. And this trend is something that is careful and is intimidating. And more than this, more intimidating than the second one that I just mentioned is the fact that uh, the military will come to power. They will govern for a certain period of time. But they will have no considerations for human rights, no considerations for uh, those sanctions, those international pressures. And at the end, they will appoint a loyal confidence to them or another military to take the baton and rule the country for indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And this will have a tremendous 
negative impacts on the region. So we hope, till then, we hope and pray for the Guineans. Thank you both. Uh, this is a lot of food for thought. And yes, we, we absolutely have to have hope. Um, I really appreciate both of you talking to me today. And maybe we'll have a follow-up once things um, become a little bit clearer in, in the country and in the region. Um, but yeah, thank you both. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trigauger. Music by Mark Nunnemull.